Good morning, Village Church. I'm Sean. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, well, in the churches I grew up in, sacraments weren't really a thing. And that's even though I grew up in Sacramento. Uh, if you were doing sacraments, you probably had a priest, some candles, some incense. Uh, you definitely had some robes and, and maybe collar. So if that's you, you're in, in good company. But what we're talking about when we say we're a sacrament-keeping church is really two things. Uh, it's baptism and communion. Why do we call them sacraments? Uh, they're instituted by Jesus and commanded as practices of his church. And they are sacramental in that they carry a spiritual benefit for those who practice them. Now, baptism and communion are unique in that all Christians, everywhere, at all times, have practiced these. We have different understandings of what they mean and how we should do them. Uh, for example, believer's baptism versus infant baptism. But this morning, we're going to focus on the sacrament of communion. Look with me again at Luke 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So communion most essentially is our response to Jesus' command to do this, do the cup, do the bread, in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul reminds the church in Corinth about the nature of communion in much the same way. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now much of what we believe about communion comes straight from these texts. And we're just going to go over that really briefly. Uh, first, Jesus established communion, or the Lord's Supper, as a continuing practice for the church. This is something we are commanded to do until he comes again. And it's something specifically for his followers. It's for the gathered church together. Second, the elements of communion are about Jesus. The bread is about his body. The cup is about his blood. Third, communion is fundamentally about remembering Jesus and his death on the cross. It's a remembrance. And fourth, communion involves a proclamation when we, as a gathered people, take the cup and the bread, we are proclaiming something together about Jesus' death. Now, we could go a lot more into detail about each of those and sort of the theology of communion, 
But this morning, we're going to dig into these texts primarily as an extended observation of communion together. We're going to look at how communion helps us remember and proclaim the Lord's death, and then we're going to take that communion together. So for everyone here, or those who are online, who is a believer, who follows Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. If that's not you, we are really glad you're here this morning, and we welcome you, but we just ask that you not take that when we take communion. If you haven't had a chance to get the little communion cups for those in person, they're on either side, and now is a good time to do that because we'll be actually taking it in the sermon. So as is so often the case, we need to understand the context if we really want to understand what communion is about. And the most immediate context is the Passover. Look at Luke 22, verses 16, 14 to 16. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What Jesus and his disciples were doing when he instituted communion was taking Passover together, celebrating the Passover. So let's do a quick background on the Passover. The Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt as slaves for hundreds of years. And God raises up a deliverer, Moses, through whom he speaks to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. But Pharaoh hard-heartedly refuses God's command. And so God says, I'm going to send a, a series of plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt, which were designed both to convince Pharaoh to let the people go and to show God's power and his wrath. And the plagues are unleashed. But time after time, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let him go. Until the final plague. Final plague where God sends an angel to kill every firstborn son in Egypt. Before he does so, though, God instructs his people to do something kind of strange. To avoid this plague, God tells them to slaughter a lamb and then to take its blood, collect it, and to paint it on the doorposts of their home. And when the angel of death comes through the land, he would see the blood on their homes and he would pass over their homes and not kill the firstborn that was inside. God's wrath is coming against all Egypt and everyone who lives there. Death is coming. But underneath the blood of the lamb, God's people would find refuge. And they would be safe. From the get-go, God tells his people that he wants them to remember this, even as he's telling them what to do. In Exodus 12, he says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. 
None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes to the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. Three times here, he repeats, this is going to be a lasting ordinance for Israel. They were to celebrate it, to commemorate it together, generation after generation. So when Jesus institutes communion, it's not out of the blue. They're doing what God had commanded them to do. They're remembering God's mercy on his people in the Passover. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, there's a new remembrance here. This meal with the bread and the cup. Do this in remembrance of my death and what God is going to do through me. In the Passover, God did something incredible in saving his people. And he wanted them to commemorate it. He wanted them to celebrate it year after year. In communion, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my death this way. So let's look at each part of communion and how it acts as a remembrance of Jesus' death. We'll start with the bread. Verse 19 of Luke 22 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, does Jesus' act of taking bread and blessing it, and breaking it, and giving it, remind you of anything. If you're in the, the yearly reading plan, it might. Uh, that's how the disciples describe what Jesus did in feeding the 5,000. And I think you can see why the communion meal is described this way when you look at John chapter 6. The beginning of that chapter, John reports on Jesus feeding the 5,000. The context, again, is the Passover. Verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus miraculously feeds over 5,000 people by taking some bread and fish and giving thanks and breaking it and giving it to the people. And the next day, a crowd gathers that had followed after Jesus. And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, after hearing that, the majority of Jesus' disciples are like, I'm out. I don't know what you're talking about, but feed on your flesh, drink your blood? They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I don't think that Jesus is specifically teaching about communion itself. What he's doing is he's teaching about the spiritual truths that are behind why we, uh, why we follow communion. There's a connection specifically to Jesus' body that is necessary for salvation. Jesus went to the cross as a man, as a physical human man. And he suffered and died. And he did it as the new Adam, as a perfect man. Because unlike all of us, Jesus had no sin. That's why the bread of the Passover had to be unleavened. Leaven was a symbol of of sin. The Passover was celebrated as the feast of unleavened bread. So the bread of the Passover is looking forward to the true bread that was to come, the sinless body of Jesus that would be offered up for his people. And Jesus' body, suffering and dying on the cross, was the means of our salvation. Paul says it in Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sin, our debt, was nailed to the cross in Jesus' physical body because God placed our sin on Jesus. Our lust, our unbelief, our selfishness, our failure to follow him in myriad ways is all nailed to the cross when those nails pierced Jesus' hands and his feet. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus' body bore our sins. He took Wounds that were for our life. Now, if you have no place in Jesus' body, you have no life. Your sins are still on you. But Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And of course, we whose sin was born in Jesus' body on the cross we are now members of the body of Christ. Paul reminds the church in Corinth, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a great spiritual truth here that we who have been united to Christ now are members, one of each other, as we are members of Jesus' own body. All of this is what Jesus wants us to remember when we take the bread of communion.
He wants us to remember that his body was given for us to bear our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have new life in Christ and then be united in his body. He wants us to proclaim the good news of the body of Christ. The good news that those who are in Christ by faith have had their sins nailed to the body of Jesus Christ on the cross and have forgiveness as a result. If you would simply receive him by faith, love him, trust him, you would find that your sins were nailed to the cross in Jesus' body and that God has forgiven them and remembers them no more. So let's now remember and proclaim this together. Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please repeat after me. Jesus, we remember your body. Let's take together. Now let's consider the cup. Luke 22 says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant is what God entered into with his people when he took them out of Egypt and he gave them the law. You don't have to know much about the Bible to know that God's people broke that covenant over and over and over again. But there's a promise in the, in the Old Testament of a new covenant that God is going to make. We see it explicitly in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And a couple things to note about the new covenant. First, God himself will bring this about. The old covenant was broken through the people's sin. God's going to go to the root of the problem, though, with the new covenant. He's going to, he says, I will write the law on their hearts. I'll put the, my law within them. The law imposed requirements from the outside on sinful man that our sin, it, it butts up against and says, no, I don't want that. New Covenant says, I'm going to give my people a new heart so they will actually want to obey my rules. They will want to obey me. The second thing to note is that the New Covenant involves the forgiveness of sins. God will act to remove his people's guilt for their sin, such that they will remember their sin no more. So go back to Luke 22. Jesus says, this cup, it's about the New Covenant. It's about my promise 
to give my people a new heart. And at the center of it all is my blood. See, like the old covenant, the new covenant was to be inaugurated through blood. In Exodus 24, the people of Israel confirm they will go, they're going to obey the law of God. Moses takes blood from the sacrifices and he throws it on the people. And he says, behold the covenant of the Lord. It says, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings, oxen, to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So why blood? Why blood? Why does God institute his covenant with his people with blood? I see two main reasons. The first is that blood points to the inevitability of death. Your sin brings death. The consequences of sin is death. God does not lie when he says, surely you shall die because of your sin. But the second thing that the blood shows us is another has died in our place. In the Passover, God didn't just skip over the Israelites. Something had to die. They had to kill a lamb. They had to slit its throat, collect the blood, and then they had to paint that blood on their door. It's hard for us, I think, to imagine that because we just buy our meat at the store. But be kind of gruesome. That lamb bled out and died. And its blood stood between the people and the angel of the Lord. So their lives were spared. Well, everything about communion points to Jesus' death. Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I want you to do this to remember my death. Remember me this way. And that's because the new covenant is inaugurated through blood just like the old covenant was. But it's not through the blood of an animal. It's through the blood of Jesus. This is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It's one of his most important titles. At the outset of his ministry, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. In Revelation 5, we see Jesus worshiped in heaven as the lamb who was slain. John writes, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, 
numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The Passover lamb was pointing ahead to the true lamb. The blood of an animal could not finally and fully atone for man's sin, but the blood of Jesus would and could. Remember John 6. Jesus says that just like we need to be fed by his body, we need to drink of his blood. So Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This points to our absolute dependence on the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross for our sake, in our place. Do you need to know this morning that you are forgiven? Then look to the cross. Look to Jesus' blood. There is your forgiveness. There is your life. That's what Jesus wants us to remember and proclaim through the cup of communion. He wants us to remember that his blood was shed for us to initiate the new covenant so that our sins can be forgiven forever and so that God could give us a new heart that desires to obey him. He wants to proclaim the good news about the blood of Jesus, that through faith in Christ, the blood of Jesus can make you clean. So let's now remember and proclaim this together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please repeat after me. Jesus, we remember your blood. Let's take it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the body of Jesus. We think, we're thankful that he was perfect, unlike us. And he went to the cross and that you placed our sin on him so that when those nails were driven into his hands, those nails were driven into his feet, our sin was placed on the cross, placed on Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, that you have done that through the body of Christ and that you have now made us one as the body of Christ. Help us to remember that, the unity that we have in Jesus. 
And we're thankful as well for the blood of Christ, Lord. Thank for the precious blood that was spilled and shed on our behalf as the true lamb of God was slaughtered on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And we're thankful for the opportunity to observe communion this morning. Help us to remember and proclaim the good news of the body and the blood of Jesus. And Lord, may your spirit use this to sanctify us. Make us more like you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.